Hi, it's uh, 10 o'clock in Finland and uh, it's Out of Line, episode 4. We are uh, live with Kevin MacDonald. And, um, yeah, so uh, welcome Mr. MacDonald on the show. How have you been uh, doing under the quarantine measures? I'm not happy. I'm uh, at home a lot and uh, I'm taking it seriously. Um, I, I, I go out to the stores and post office and stuff. Um, and I, you know, I, I do. I, I, I just played some music with the guy, and um, for the first time uh, since this whole lockdown happened. And, and in a way, I'm not taking it as seriously as I was. I, when I first, when it first happened, I was oh, I'm really worried about it. But now, I don't know. Yeah, I noticed uh, from Lots your. Yeah, I noticed uh, from what you were tweeting that um, <clears throat> you have uh, sort of uh, turned against. Uh, or at least a bit uh, against the uh, restriction measures uh, they have in USA. So what do you think would be the right way to go right now with the virus? Well, you know, I, I think that, you know, if, if you're a vulnerable person, and arguably I'm a vulnerable person, I'm, I'm a kind of old guy, you know, I'm a geezer. Um, but uh, it's people with underlying conditions and old people, and I think they should really take precautions. They should be especially careful about nursing homes. And a lot of the big outbreaks in, in America have been at nursing homes. You know, somebody in the staff or the family comes in, they, they start infecting it, and these people are very vulnerable. And so in the state of Washington, the uh, state of Oregon, uh, New York, they've had uh, big outbreaks at these places. And so, yeah, they have to really take precautions because these people, if they get it, they may well die. And uh, the other thing, you know, they, they are saying that if you do get it, it may be some permanent lung damage and so on. I have a history of asthma and so on. So I have to take it seriously. Uh, at the same time, um, it's like this has become a political issue in America. I don't know how it is in Finland or in other places in Europe, but uh, people on the left wanted to, the lockdown to continue. People on the right generally wanted to get going. They want the economy to open up. Uh, people on the left emphasize, well, if you open things up, uh, people are going to die. People on the right are saying that there's an awful lot of suffering going on with this horrible economy. People have lost their jobs. They, uh, you know, they uh, are having big psychological problems. You know, there's uh, undoubtedly increases in domestic violence and child abuse and all these things happening because people are under tremendous stress. I mean. Uh, a lot of people are. I mean, if you uh, have a, you know, steady income, I guess, uh, immune to this, but so many people are not. We have 26 million Americans that are out of work now. We have gone from the high, from the lowest level of unemployment in like 70 years or 60 years to, you know, 26 million overnight. And, uh, you know, these people are, a lot of our unemployment, uh, um, in some cases, that actually pays them more, I guess, but in a lot of cases, it pays them less. And, uh, you know, the, all these restrictions, people, you know, in different areas is different. You know, I know in the UK, you know, they're going to arrest you for walking in the park by yourself. And uh, they've done that in California. Somebody's alone on a beach and they and they go after them. Um, but... Uh, so I, I, I want to get it opened up as soon as possible. I think there's a lot of suffering connected with that, um, uh, with, with the lockdown. Um, first, in my case, I'm retired. I, you know, I'm at home. Uh, 
so I can do my thing. I, it doesn't really you know, affect me that much. <clears throat> it does affect me <clears throat> in some ways, but um, I'm used to it now and, and I, it doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm sort of an introverted kind of guy anyway. It doesn't, I don't need to have, you know, partying all the time or something. So, uh, but I do think it, you know, people on the right wanted to open up, people on the left, and part of the reason people on the left, I mean, and, and we talked about this in pre-show, that the, the idea, I think they really like the idea of powerful authoritarian controls. I mean, and, and they uh, want to continue this. They want to get people used to it. Uh, a surveillance state, you know, Apple and, um, and Google are partnering up to do more surveillance of people. Uh, and then, then you could report people who are not obeying. I heard of a case in Australia where a drone spotted these people on the rooftop of a building. There are three people and they report in the police. They got a thousand dollar fine. Well, that's crazy. Uh, these people are minding their own business. It's not a big crowd. It's a small little gathering. For all we know, these people live together and yet they got hassled like that by a drone, no less. I mean, this is like, this is really a, a police state uh, that, that uh, you know, I, I do think that the left has wanted a police state for some time. I mean, they, they want to shut down free speech. We all know that. Uh, a lot of us have been deplatformed in various ways. And uh, so, yeah, I want to get it going again as soon as possible. And uh, But I, I think that more and more people are aware that globalism has a downside. Uh, a lot of talk, at least among conservatives, uh, on the fact that our, our supply chains for drugs, like they make 95% of our drugs now in China. Uh, which is ridiculous. And they withhold drugs uh, for, any, for any reason at all because they want them or because they don't like us or something. Uh, it's a disaster. And so we, what we've done the last 50 years is just ship our manufacturing base out of the country. We don't make anything anymore uh, or very few things. And, and, you know, I think people are realizing this is a huge, huge mistake that we've uh, done here, and uh, uh, I'm not sure. It's going to be very difficult to correct it. Um, these companies have offshored on the manufacturing, and it's it's just destroyed the working class, especially the white working class. Uh, but that's just what globalism is all about: is screwing over the white working class, in the, well, the working class in general, bringing in all these low-paid, uneducated workers. Uh, to, to compete at the low end, to do all these menial jobs and so on for very little money. And then at the high end, they, they bring in all these tech workers from India. They bring in, um, they outsource the jobs of, of Americans. So I, I think we're on a very perilous course here that might, you know, it's conceivable that this could be the good news, you know, that people wake up to this and start pushing back on globalism. Yeah, in Finland, it's uh, actually the opposite uh, because we have a left-wing government yeah. and uh, our unemployment was higher even before or higher than in the U.S. currently. So um, it really? is the left that wants to open uh, the country, whereas the, well, we don't even have a right, but... Uh, the more the people that are not on the left want to uh, be 
uh, careful about reopening the country. So it seems that it's a pattern that every country uh, has a different approach, that uh, if the country yeah. is run by the left, then it's the right that wants to keep it closed. And uh, in the US, you have Trump that has acted in a pretty good way. I think uh, so. It's the left that wants to close, to keep it closed. So it's a, it's an interesting thing that it's a, always yeah. against uh, common sense. I think the yeah, yes, and, and you know Trump. Part of the reason that the left wants it to shut down, they really want to destroy the economy. I believe that 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 they because they, they hate Trump so much. I mean, this hatred of Trump is just the absolute insanity, derangement, the Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, they they hate him so much. Uh, they uh, and, and the economy was the best thing Trump had going for him. I mean, we, we had a booming economy, booming stock market, very low unemployment. Uh, things were going very very well economically in America, and then all of a sudden this hit, and now everything's you know completely destroyed practically. And uh, you know that that can't be good for Trump um, unless they see Trump is really commonsensical on on the virus. But I, I don't see that. I mean, he's been saying things that are really crazy. I mean, like he's implying, I guess, that uh, people should take disinfectants, you know, like drink them or something. And it's like, what? Uh, I don't know what he, he's just. Uh, he's probably better than the alternative, but at the same time, you know, well, one of the things he did lately was he, well, because of the virus, we're going to shut down immigration. Big announcement. And uh, so he's got an executive order. We're going to shut down immigration. But it turns out the executive order applies to like 5% of the immigrants. We have way over a million immigrants per year. This doesn't apply to hardly any of them. So it's a joke. And, and people got to him. I think his original idea was uh, sound and really restrict immigration. And that would be a good precedent. You know, you shut it down, you know, and, and show it can be done. And like the polls show like 80% of the people were happy with that. 80%. I mean, when do you have a an issue that 80% of the people agree on? <clears throat> but uh, that that's what it was. But uh, he just watered it down completely. And But even then, people on the left going crazy and, and praising immigrants and saying, oh, we have to keep this going because the, the left loves immigration, of course. But the problem, the problem is so many business interests on the right want it too. Uh, and that's why he caved into the business interests, not to the left on this. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting to see that in the beginning, uh, like uh, in February, <clears throat> you saw American liberals who were absolutely certain that the COVID pandemic would uh, be the end of Trump, that it would uh, uh, um, make short work of his approval rating, but then in the end he ended up having uh, the highest approval ratings uh, since he was elected. Uh, so yeah. I think it really seems really possible that they are trying to do damage uh, now because they want uh, Trump to be in trouble with this. Yeah, I, I, I think that they do. Um, I don't know what is what the polls are saying lately. He's on TV every day. I don't watch it. Uh, but he's on TV every day talking about this thing with his staff of so-called experts. And, and the, the experts that he's got around him seem to be uh, inclined to keep the shutdown going. Uh, even though he's made statements encouraging these protests, like in Michigan, where they protest a very heavy-handed uh, uh, lockdown that they have there. 
but then as soon as the governor of Georgia decides, well, let's open it up, and he's going through with that, Trump says, no, no, don't open it up yet, you know. I don't know where Trump is going, he's coming from. I mean, he's just, uh, he just, he doesn't make a lot of sense a lot, a lot of times. I, I just don't, very disappointing. I mean, we, all of us were in America were so excited about Trump's election. Uh, and here we are going into the next election and uh, nothing's really changed. And, uh, you know, the fact that he gave in to, to the business interests on immigration. If someone said, uh, that Tim Cook, the president, the CEO, the chief executive officer of Apple, is the one they were afraid. What what would Tim Cook think if they shut down the H-1B visas and all that, that allow these tech firms to bring in cheap labor from India? Oh, so he so immediately gave on that. Um, it's just no 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 principles here. No no attempt to really. I mean, we thought this was, you know, his rhetoric on immigration was so good before the election. He was uh, talking about, you know, lowering the how, how many people come in, which is the big deal. We were over a million people, uh, you know, ending, you know, really deporting illegal people, building a wall, all that stuff. Nothing's really happened on any of that, except he's started building a wall. There's very little percentage of the border. So it's 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 an all a charade. Uh, I think there's a lot of cynicism uh, on people on the dissident alt right uh, kind of thing. Are you still going to vote in the upcoming election? <laughs> there's no point in me voting, literally, because uh, at the presidential level, anyway, because I I live in a state that's entirely blue. The, 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 this state will vote Democrat. They hate Trump, and uh, where I am in this particular area, though. It's okay, you know. It's very much a conservative area, but like so many American states, it's, the politics are dominated by the urban centers. You know, Portland, Seattle, um, California. It's all the LA and San Francisco, um, Colorado, Denver. So they, they, that's what what has happened. The urban is really a, the divide in this country is urban and rural, basically, the big cities versus the smaller, uh, more rural areas, which still remain quite conservative, but they're big outnumbered. I mean, you can't bring a million plus of these immigrants every year. And uh, they're, they're 80% of them vote Democrat. This is a permanent revolution here. And you, uh, we see what the left wants. They, they want a police state. And uh, trends keep going. Well, they'll get it in the absence of a revolution. They, they will probably get it uh, in the near future. Yeah, Trump's uh, this week's uh, the original executive of, uh, order that he had planned was pretty good. That it would really yeah. shut down the uh, immigration, but uh, yeah, it was watered down. And uh, but it's a, there, there's a small chance that it would it it can be still changed. That uh, maybe if Trump really starts doing what he's supposed to do, uh, there's a small chance that uh, the immigration will be shut down. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this, uh, well, this, when you compare countries to others, uh, it really shows that politics is sort of bullshit because uh, it, it doesn't really matter if it's left or right, immigration will still uh, go on. But on the other hand, it is, Trump is still much, much, better than uh, Hillary or Joe Biden. 
Yes, I, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, if I had to vote, if I thought I should vote, I'll probably vote just because there are other elections that are interesting uh, for, for Congress and, and other things. Um, but I, I'll vote for Trump probably. <clears throat> but, it, it, you know, it's, it's like you hold your nose because uh, he's just not been as good as he could have been. Uh, and, you know, he talks about the executive order on limiting immigration. Why didn't you do an executive order on birthright citizenship? These people walk over the border, they have a baby, and immediately they have a citizen in the family and they can claim benefits. They can, uh, you know, they're, they're virtually U.S. citizens by doing that. And now you see people on the left, they're, they're encouraging people uh, who are illegal to fill out census forms and to vote and, and to do all these other things. So they might as well be citizens. They give them driver's licenses. They do everything they can to, to uh, make them citizens because they know that's where their power base is in the future. Right now, the last I read, uh, about 44%, I think, of the votes of the Democratic Party come from, from non-whites. You know, and, and that's that's just uh, you know huge, uh, and it's just going to be keep increasing because white people in general are moving to the to the Republican Party. Uh, although you still have a you know substantial number of white people who are still uh, on the left and they want diversity and they hate white people. It's amazing to see this. I mean, I, I read this on Twitter, and uh, you see all these white people, and they just loathe white people. And they, they, you see women who, 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 who don't, they, white women, they look at themselves and they say, well, I don't have, uh, you know, my, my lips are too thin, my, my rear end isn't big enough, and things like that. They, because they, you know, those are black racial features that they, they want to emulate. Uh, just this hatred of white people, hatred of our, of our past, of our history, and, um, I mean, that's a culture that, that is on its deathbed, you know, if you have very large numbers of people just hating uh, themselves and hating the past of that culture, uh, it's, 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 it's a disaster. Yeah, it's actually pretty shocking. And uh, <clears throat> you see a lot of these uh, pop stars and uh, celebrities who used to be normal white girls, but then they started changing their appearance. And uh, in the end, yeah. they have insane tans and they have uh, dyed their hair black and use like a black yeah. hairdos and they have the lip fillers and they look like black women. So it's, yeah. it's sort of uh, awful to see that sort of self-hatred that you would be willing to alter your entire uh, persona. Uh, to look like something that you really aren't. So, uh, yeah. do you do, do you think there is a, a coming back from this sort of uh, 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 should I say a, a desperate state for white people that uh, there is, is a way for us to regain some sort of self-respect? Yeah, and you know, you know it's, it's obviously the, the the root of this problem lies in the media and the educational system. This has been going on for decades. Uh, in the educational system, uh, not so much hating white people, but really that's what it amounts to. I mean, cultural Marxism is is uh, really pervasive in the schools now, all the way th from kindergarten up through college. And uh, you, you take basic courses in history in college now, and and, they're, and it's really all about how evil America is uh, and how evil it was. And uh, they talked about slavery. They'll talk about Jim Crow laws, you know, segregation and things like that. And they never see 
the brights I never never see the opposition to those things that was also here and and was very uh, very a big part of our culture as well and re really I, I think would have I think our you know back in the 1960s I was I was liberal I was on the left uh, young and foolish perhaps but at the, at the time if you'd asked anybody on the left, what the future would be like in America in 50 years, they would have said, well, you know, the, the country would be fairer, you know, we're in segregation, we're going to, you know, incorporate black people into America and really make a fair uh, country. But nobody would have thought that in 50 years, white people would be a dwindling percentage of the population on the verge of becoming a minority. That was not in the cards. That was never, ever discussed. Uh, yet that I think that really was in the back of the minds of, of these activists, uh, pro-immigration activists, and, and as part of my book, The Culture of Critique, is Jewish activists really did want to change the demographic balance of the country. And if you think about that, that's an incredible thing that a, a group, a small percentage of the population would really go all out trying to change the demographic balance of the country in their favor. It's just astonishing to think about it, but really they have accomplished it and they're well on the road to completing it. Yes, and uh, uh, it's interesting to see in America uh, how deep the anti-white bias goes and how uh, calm white people are about it, even though they face it all the time, that it, it seems like they have grown numb to it. That, for example, in the election, uh, it has become become the norm that uh, uh, the candidates brag about being the candidate who is most popular among black people or who is the most popular among Latinos. But then when you say that uh, some politicians' voters are mostly whites, it's always used in a very negative and judgmental oh, way. Yeah, that is yeah. a bad thing if you are a popular among whites. And it seems that whites don't even react to that, even though it's repeated all the time. Yeah, yeah. That that's absolutely right, and there's a lot of articles in the wake of the election that Trump was elected based because of white racism. Um, they, in other words, and I, and I think that you know there's a certain element of truth. I think that because Trump's rhetoric was opposed to immigration, that did resonate with white people um, way more than other groups, and um, that that was a part a big part of his base. Uh, so I don't want to deny that, but I don't think that's racism. That's common sense. No group in the world has decided, well, you know, we, we want to be a minority and hope for the best when we have much less political power because we're going to have to trust these people that we're giving power to. And all we see now, I mean, you're going to be blind if you're a white person and not noticing all the anti-white hate in the media and on Twitter and, uh, other social media platforms now. I mean, you got to really be blind to reality to ignore that because um, it's pervasive. Yeah, I mean, you, you see articles in you know these left-wing web magazines like Slate, Huffington Post. Um, you see you know, big media organs like like the New York Times hiring people with a history of anti-white tweets and stuff like that. And, and when it's pointed out, they don't do anything about it. That's okay. But for white people, you know, for them, they, their past is constantly being scoured. Like when they were children, they may have said something bad on the playground and that will haunt them for the rest of their lives. You know, when, when those kids in, in uh, Washington, D.C. 
when they uh, confronted this Indian, uh, this Indian that was really harassing them, being very aggressive, and, and the guy just came right up to him, and the teenager, the white guy, stared back at him, and that was seen as absolutely racist. And all these people were saying uh, online that they hope that this destroys his life forever. You know, in other words, it got a kid, 16 years old, 17. And, and the, the, something he does then, right or wrong, is, is supposed to follow him and destroy his life. That's the mindset on the left. Uh, and, and it's this authoritarian, you know, uh, anti-free speech uh, mindset. And they have no compunctions about uh, enacting laws, and uh, just ruining people's lives if they have different ideas. Yeah, at least in the U.S., these companies were sued and they had to pay uh, this uh, Nicholas yeah. Sandman. I yeah, think. they were sued. But uh, yeah, here, they, here in Finland, they, 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 uh, we had the news about this thing, but uh, they never corrected. Uh, yeah. What what really? Yeah, I, I think happened. that's true in general. They they, they they publicized the event, you know, when it happened. And if you went to any of the left wing Twitter or social media or media, uh, you know, it was just clear example of white racism that these guys and it was ridiculous and it was just false. Yeah, and uh, they didn't do any fact checking or anything. Yeah, but when when the when the lawsuits started happening, and I know there was a judgment against CNN, they didn't say how much it was, but it was a lot of money, I imagine. Um, that was never mentioned on the left. It was it was mentioned uh, among conservative media, but that's part of our of our hyperpolarization here. People, you know, they they tune into different media, and uh, they, they hear the messages they want to hear. And uh, I try to I try to have read other people's uh, points of view on this. I, I do subscribe on Twitter, for example. I follow people who are way on the left, like Joy Reid. I just to look at it. Um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, uh, Nancy Pelosi. I, I I read them, you know, and I I, I read these leftist websites, uh, but. Most of these people don't, and especially I think on the left, they've done these studies to show that people on the left are far more intolerant, and and they people on the left, for example, will will uh, stop being friends with you if they think your politics differ from them, and it's much more common than on, on the right. Intolerant, you know, they they won't they won't uh, talk to you anymore. I've had that in my own family. Uh, people uh, refuse to talk to you anymore because you. You supported Trump or something like that. Uh, it's just yeah. On the left, it seem there seems to be an IQ problem also because I I believe that if only white males were allowed to vote, I don't yeah. think Nancy Pelosi or AOC would ever win an election because nobody yeah. uh, sane would vote for those. Because I try to look at their speeches objectively, but uh, to me they they seem like. Uh, complete clowns that yeah. are not uh, uh, interesting but uh, you said that it's the media's and the education's for education system's fault uh, and i think one thing that proves this uh, very well is that if you look at the difference between western and eastern europe where uh, yeah. they had communism 
Eastern Europe doesn't doesn't have this uh, this this same problem in the media or uh, amongst uh, the common people that uh, people are uh, so pol- polarized. Uh, yeah. So these people were protected by communism uh, until very recently, whereas we in the in Western Europe we have been uh, we have been uh, force-fed this media propaganda and uh, sure have. and that is what uh, is influencing the uh, voters and uh, that's what is the solution to this problem? I uh, I can think of some, but. Uh, I don't know. Uh, currently, they are not legal. These uh, solutions. It's very difficult because the media is owned by people basically on the left, and and one of the sad things is that you know in the in the, in the age of social media and everything, you know, companies like Google are owned by people on the left. Facebook is owned by people on the left. Twitter, Netflix, uh, and I, you know, I had a lot of hope for something like Netflix. You know, they weren't the, the people that really started this thing I don't think they're Jewish and and uh, but but they're as much on the left and they, they put out this leftist propaganda anti-white racial stuff on on, on Netflix um, so yeah I mean how, how do you take that over I don't know I, I, I maybe if you had a billionaire on our side you know super billionaire say say Jeff Bezos suddenly converted to our cause uh, he could make a difference because he's got you know 100 well over a hundred billion dollars, I think, and uh, he could make a difference. But uh, we don't have anybody like that. It seems all the big money, really big money, is is on the is on the left. And uh, you think of the school system. The school system is really a top down thing. It really starts at universities, you know. And and universities are really incredibly on the left in America, and I think throughout the West. And uh, they police this. You, know, you can't get hired at a university. If you're, a, you're looking for a job at a university and they will go over your, your social media accounts, they will go over your everything you've ever published in any way. And, and they're looking, you know, not just for you know, how smart you are or something, how productive you're going to be. They want to see your politics. And uh, there's no way in the world that you're going to be hired at an American university, and I'm sure that's true elsewhere. Um, if you don't have politics that resonate. And, and really what, what they were looking for are people who are assertively on the left, who are, you know, not just sort of apolitical. You know, they don't want that. They want people who are really activists. And uh, so it's police like that. And then you think it's a top-down system. And so uh, the, the future teachers in grade school and high school are going to college. They're getting degrees from this. And they are uh, going through this process where there's a huge amount of propaganda. And uh, if a teacher, you know, gets off the reservation, well, they can fire those people quite easily. And uh, even at the university, you know, people are getting fired uh, if they don't have tenure. Uh, But sadly, uh, uh, very few people at the university have challenged uh, the political correctness, the, the, the huge bias towards the left that we see everywhere and really anti-white bias. I saw something the other day that uh, there there are zero conservatives in sociology departments, zero. And uh, if you look at something like psychology, there are very few, but even those conservatives are going to be people, most of them are going to be 
and, and they're not going to be people like us. They're going to be people who believe in free markets or uh, they think that um, maybe conservative values have something something to say, or maybe the left's gone too far or something. They, they don't oppose immigration. They don't have a sense of being white or advancing white interests. Uh, uh, so you, we're starting, we're still at a very, 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 uh, very primitive stage here in terms of really getting uh, support for our ideas. It's so hard when, when they just run the media and the educational system. Yeah, they have had decades to organize, whereas we are just the beginning here. Yes, and uh, yeah. I think there's also a sort of attitude problem in <clears throat> in the right or nationalist movement that uh, uh, people always expect everyone <coughs> to not make money with what they are doing. That if you make one dollar with your work or your activism or your online media, then you easily get uh, labeled a grifter that uh, you are a phony who's t simply trying to make money. And uh, all the while, uh, the, our enemies, uh, they have these billionaire fundings, they have offices with hundreds of people employed there. So they yes, have all the yes, resources. And the true. nationalist movement, I think they have the sort of wrong attitude when it comes to gathering resources, that they don't understand how important it is to get that organization going. And it takes money to do that. It takes money. And, and that's why one of the advantages that the left has had and you know, I've written a lot about Jewish stuff. Well, they have funded th these movements, lavishly funded them. You look at the neoconservatives. You know, they they started out in the 1970s. Really, all they just a few people. Really, there wasn't a whole lot. But you know, by by the 1980s, they were really important people in the Reagan administration. And and what had happened is that they put a lot of money into it. They um, had these think tanks. Where people could have careers, uh, they could they could have a salary, a good salary, uh, in something like um, uh, Heritage Foundation, something like that, or you know pro-Israel lobbying groups, uh, the Washington Institute for for Near East Policy, for example, and uh, they would recruit not only Jews but non-Jews. So if you were someone like John Bolton who's not Jewish. But you're looking for a good career in foreign policy. Well, where's the place to go here? Are you going to, you know, really, uh, you know, go for some kind of isolationist, America first kind of thing? No, you're going to go for where the money is, and you're going to go for the Washington Institute Near East policy. You're going to start a pro-Israel kind of thing of your own. You're going to be well funded. You're going to be ensconced in the in the in the foreign policy establishment in Washington. So when Trump got in. Yeah, who did he ask to be his national security advisor? John Bolton. You know, he was already, you know, there. And uh, he, he had uh, he, his views were completely opposite of what Trump talked about in the election. But this is just so typical of Trump that he makes these appointments that make no sense at all. He finally got rid of Bolton, by the way. But, you know, that's the, the point is that that that. that that people on the left and neoconservatives, anything that's supported by Jews, is going to be lavishly funded. Pro-immigration groups have hundreds of millions of dollars at their disposal. And uh, there are a lot of jobs that, that you can have. So if you want immigration and you're, you're, uh, you don't have to be Jewish, you don't have to be black, you can be a good old normal white person. But hey, if, if you have the right ideas about immigration, 
you can get a great job, have a great career. And that's what we need to have. We don't have any, hardly anybody's making a, is making a living at this. Very few people, probably count them on, on you know, 10 people in the entire movement making a, a living at it. And, that, and they're not really getting rich by any means. So yeah, that's what we need. We need to not be ashamed of that to say, you know, yeah, we need money, we need funding. Uh, because that's what everybody, that, that's really the, you know, money is, is the uh, milk of politics. And it's, the, you know, something that absolutely necessary. And we have to get over any idea that, you know, that uh, this is not important. Yes, and I think it's very uh, visible, especially in the uh, younger generations in America, because you have the uh, young nationalists who uh, come from outside of the system, and then you have the uh, traditional conservatives or neocons uh, who are very much within the establishment, like in yeah, the establishment circles, you have the Ben Shapiro, uh, who I, I listened to his interview, one of them today, and he explained that he has an office with 80 employees, and he actually has staff who decide uh, what he should wear and how he, how he should wear his hair. And people yeah. like me or people like Nick Fuentes or other <clears throat> nationalist activists uh, only can dream about institutions like that. Yeah, that's what you've only dream. I mean, God knows when like, I, I run Occidental Observer. I, I'm the only person. I, I do all the editing, you know, and I pay my writers. I'm trying to, you know, make it good for them. Uh, but I can't, I'm not, I'm not giving anybody a living at this. Um, but that's what we need. We really do need that. Uh, and uh, there was a, a beginning of that with the National Policy Institute, uh, Richard Spencer's group. But, uh, you know, it's really not lived up to, I think, what its potential could have been. Yeah, unfortunately, that uh, <clears throat> tends to happen. But uh, there are also a lot of uh, these uh, promising movements uh, by uh, young people. And there was actually a story I read into uh, a couple of months ago, I think, uh, that uh, George Hutchison, uh, who I think works for Countercurrents, uh, and he's a leader of uh, uh, a nationalist uh, college students sure, organization. Uh, George Hutchison. George Hutchison. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and, uh, but he runs a nationalist uh, students organization and he's oh, now yes. uh, suing uh, mainstream media outlets for anti-white racism. And even though mm. I ha I don't maybe have much faith in uh, these sort of cases succeeding in court, I think it's important to sort of uh, create that awareness that maybe some people, when they see stories about these sort of trials, Uh, or court cases, maybe they realize that, yeah, that, that actually is bias, because we are not even yeah. at that point yet that all people would even realize the bias. Yeah, Peter Verbolo uh, is, is suing the, the New York Times, I believe, uh, because they called him a white nationalist or something. Um, and uh, I don't know how that lawsuit's going to go. Um, James Edwards sued the Detroit Free Press And that was ridiculous. They said he was a Ku Klux Klan member or something like that. And he wasn't, but it didn't matter. They, they, the, the judge said, well, you know, you, you have David Duke on your show and he's a member or was a member 40 years ago. Uh, he's not a member now. He's, he was a member 40 years ago. So that was enough to throw out this lawsuit. It's ludicrous. 
So yes, the other thing, we the courts are against this, completely against this. Uh, there's someone named Glenn Allen, uh, he's uh, suing the Southern Poverty Law Center. And it's an uphill struggle. They have tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. Hundreds of billions. That's a good example of how the left is funded. Hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. So here's one attorney going up against this massive edifice. And uh, that's what you're up against. And then you, you go into the court and the judges are far more on the side of the Southern Poverty Law Center. They know if they if they uh, rule against the Southern Poverty Law Center, they're going to be, it could ruin their career. They may not get reelected if it's an elected position. And, and other, even then, they'll, they'll be, you know, frozen out of, of the legal system and they won't get promoted in any way. So it's daunting. They have taken over the, all the institutional structure of our society, including, it's very important, you know, the, the, the um, legal system is a linchpin in Western societies. It's, it's very central to everything. And um, the only good thing we have going is not a very good thing is uh, the Supreme Court uh, is still in conservative hands, but all it would take is one Democrat president. Because uh, once they get in there, they're gonna have a permanent majority. They're gonna just import millions of people and. And so the, the vote will be skewed in their direction. And um, then they'll appoint these justices. But even then, I saw this uh, this Supreme Court opinion the other day with Neil Gorsuch. You know, everybody had such great hope for this conservative justice on the Supreme Court was just appointed not long ago. And, uh, you know, he's part of his opinion is, uh, you know, delving into you know, Jim Crow laws from a long time ago to judge a present case as if past attitudes have anything to do with this. But it's just very disappointing. These mainstream conservatives just do not have their head screwed on right. Uh, they, they, um, they, they just, uh, they're, they're a huge part of the problem. I mean, they're, they're, and that's the problem. You know, it's really the establishment from left to right that's against us. Uh, people, these conservatives, uh, a lot of them are free market people, people like Ben Shapiro. He's, he's just, you know, he's just, he hates white, you know, he's, he's much anti-white as anybody. But here he is praying around as a conservative. Oh, he's probably got a large white following. Uh, people who don't really get it, you know, and, and they, they're afraid of being called a racist. And, and since he's Jewish, well, you can't call me a racist because I really like this guy, Ben Shapiro, you know. That's the way it is. Yeah, it's a pretty similar situation here in Finland. And uh, well, um, suing the media is fun. Uh, and I did that uh, same thing because the, we have a state-owned uh, public network. I think it's like uh, PBS or NPR yeah. in the US. And they had a uh, journalist that calls herself a uh, fact-checker. And she called me a Nazi and a racist and a Nazi clown. Oh, okay. And uh, she actually, I, I won the case last year. And uh, well, I got 200 euros. So it's not a big deal, but it's a very good. Uh, um, so you got a judgment against him. Yeah. Wow, yeah, terrific. It's, it's uh, April April 12th uh, last year. So actually it's one, one year ago I, I won this case. 
and uh, and this drove all the leftists crazy. And the media, they were extremely angry and they still are very pissed at us and uh, uh, they have a sort of vendetta against us because of this and use every opportunity they get to smear us because they are still angry about this case and the sort of precedent that was set here because now people actually have seen that, yeah, you can uh, beat these people in court if they smear you. That's why I'm doubtful that, that they would have such a precedent like that, let it stand in America. If, the, if, if uh, say, James Edwards had won his case, the, the, the uh, Detroit Free Press would have appealed it. And they would assume that, uh, you know, eventually they, they will win this thing. In the meantime, uh, the other thing that, they, that, the, that the legal system does is bankrupt people. You know, there have been all these lawsuits in the aftermath of Charlottesville um, where people have been sued. And there's this leftist activist Jewish law firm in New York. Um, I think her name is Roberta Kaplan. And she is leading the charge against these people. And, and you know, part of the idea is just to bankrupt them. You know, I think Richard Spencer has a million dollar uh, lawsuit against them. Michael Hill has a similar kind of huge lawsuit. You know, if they got if they lost it, and it's probable that they will, because you know, again, the entire legal system is set up against these people. Um, you know, who's got that kind of money? It's yeah, going to destroy their lives. Yeah, our our side is a bit crippled by this attitude that uh, that people don't want to do this because people are like uh, thinking that it doesn't really matter or it's not worth it or. Uh, we will not win, or uh, or they are distracted by entertainment or other stuff. So they are yeah, yeah. so interested about these uh, crucial uh, battles. But it would be in- nice if we were able to. And m- maybe this is starting to change now, uh, slowly. I think. I don't know. You know, I'd like to think we. You know, the, the fact is that I, I think we were harmed a lot by Charlottesville. Um, people who, uh, you know, have pulled back because partly because they've got sued. And, and there's still a lot of dissension among people who are basically on the same page here. We, we don't have a unified uh, movement here. Uh, and uh, so it, it's been uh, an uphill struggle. Really, uh, and, and I, I think we've lost ground. I think people were optimistic in the aftermath of Trump being elected. You know, the, we, we were the only people that really supported him. You know, gung ho. Uh, you know, because mainstream conservatives didn't. People like Paul Ryan and uh, all. Of course, the people these neocons hated Trump. Um, still do, and a lot of them have gone to become the Democrats now. Uh, but then, since then. You know, with all the lawsuits and uh, what happened with a uh, you know, woman was killed uh, in, in it, and uh, so, somebody who was was convicted for that, but then they're blaming it on everybody, and uh, you know, dreaming up these vast conspiracies that are ridiculous. But again, you know, you've got a court system that's sympathetic to that kind of stuff, and so that's what you're up against. Um, so. Yeah, and uh, the police force are also uh, against us. Uh, yeah, we, we've 
we followed closely the Charlottesville uh, thing, and uh, well, yeah. it was okay. There was a car accident, and uh, one guy was sentenced for murder, but uh, it's. But the biggest problem in the situation was uh, the police response that they didn't keep the Antifa yeah, away, yeah. who were acting yeah. in a very violent way. They didn't protect these nationalists when they should have. But Trump's mm. response was good back then when he called the old, he called the other side the old left, and he said that on both sides they were good people. So it was a yeah, that pretty, was good. pretty good uh, response from him. And. and, and, and... He's never lived it down. People on the left uh, still uh, hate him for saying that. But uh, yeah, in general, I, th- I think uh, Charlottesville uh, has been a disaster. And it's a good example. What the, the big mistake, the first mistake they made was having this happen in Charlottesville, Virginia, where you had a Jewish mayor and the police force was run by a black guy. You know, you got to get a political jurisdiction that would be positive. There were things that happened prior to that that really went well. I mean, Richard Spencer was having his college tour. They went down to, I think, Auburn and uh, to Texas Tech or thing, and it went very well. You know, because you had the authorities there were, uh, you know, doing the right thing and keeping the 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 groups apart and that sort of thing. That's what they got to do. But when they got to Charlottesville, they ran. They 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 corralled all the all the people who were demonstrating on the right, he corralled them into this mob of leftists. And then, of course, there was violence, and then they blame it all on the right. Um, it was, uh, they, they really have to, if you're going to do this, and I think it's important to have public uh, demonstrations, but that's what's been missing since Charlottesville. We don't have any presence on the streets anymore, but the Antifa is very powerful in many areas like Portland, Oregon is just a hotbed of any they practically run the, the police department in the city. And uh so you're really up against it uh uh in areas like that. Uh, because if you do demonstrate on the right, the, the police will not give you a break. The mayor will not give you a break. And the legal system won't give you a break. So you know might as well not bother suicide. But if you went down to some areas in the southern part of the country, I, I think, um, smaller towns, even in other areas, where you, the sheriff would have a, a reasonable point of view, uh, where the, they would realize that their job is to keep these groups apart, you could have a different outcome. But it's very sad that we don't have any public presence on the streets. I, I think it's very important that we do this. But uh, it's been missing ever since Charlottesville. Well, now they have there have been some protests against the lockdown in various states, and uh, I and have, the gun protest before that. And I, yeah. I, in these protests, I haven't seen any Antifa presence. So uh, why is that? Yeah, that's true. Uh, they they had a big protest in Virginia. Guys were carrying. They had one in Michigan, uh, and uh, they're carrying. Uh, very openly carrying guns and, and, and even including assault rifles. And they did not show up. And so I, I don't know exactly why, uh, if the Antifa is just weaker. I don't think that's true in Virginia. I know there's a huge way Antifa in Washington, D.C., I know. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, maybe they were intimidated. And, that, and that's, what the, that's what can happen. If you choose the right jurisdiction, you know, they can be intimidated too. 
uh, most of these people are a bunch of wimps anyway. They go around with masks and hoods on so you can't identify them uh, because they, you know, it's a license to to commit mayhem and, and assault. Uh, so the left uh, can be tackled, but it's not happening now. Yeah, we've had we've had uh, bike lock attacks in Finland also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, in Finland, uh, <clears throat> the uh, especially the media has wanted uh, uh, the so-called targeting to be a crime that it would it would be included in the criminal code, and the targeting means that uh, you, uh, for example. Uh, name some journalist and egg people on to attack that journalist online or things like that, that you uh, paint a target on someone's back. And uh, the media and uh, the Finnish police force are very supportive of this this sort of law because that is uh, one of the way of um, avoiding criticism so that they can always accuse people of targeting if people criticize specific journalists or police officers and name them while criticizing them. But it was funny to see that uh, uh, after the discussion about the targeting law had gone on for a while, then you started hearing these voices from the liberals and the left that no, we shouldn't make this sort of laws because they started realizing that if you make that sort of law, Uh, their own guys will get killed in court with this sort of thing because they target uh, nationalists all the time and you couldn't make a law that only applies to nationalists. So they they have now started to realize that it would be a bad thing for them to add that sort of law. So they are sort of turning against it. Wow. But yeah, it's a nonsensical law. And uh, But in Finland... There is no real free speech, so they can uh, make up these uh, crazy ideas that would never even be uh, proposed in the U.S., where you really have but, uh, free speech. Well, I, I could pick up sort of have free speech, but not really, because you know, I mean, for example, Twitter. I mean, they they shadow ban you, they prevent you from really um, having the audience that you would have otherwise, and. Uh, YouTube has been purged so much. So these private companies can clamp down and they're the ones who really own, you know, own the media. So yeah, but uh, yeah, the government can't make laws yet. Yeah, but for for example, I have been uh, in court for subtitling a video. Uh-huh. Uh, that would be impossible in the US. I just subtitled yeah, that, a video. That's the thing that they can't do yet. But yeah, yeah, well, you at the beginning of the show we were talking about Well, you know, could this lockdown produce, you know, changes in that? And I think that's where the left wants to go. They they want a police state. They want to get rid of the First Amendment. There's no question about that. And uh, one or two more Supreme Court justices, and they would do just that. Uh, it would be, uh, they would get rid of the First Amendment. They wouldn't, you know, formally get rid of it, but they would make inroads. They'd say, well, there are exceptions here, like, Uh, so-called hate speech or something like that. And they would allow people to have, you know, prison sentences and fines and from the state. They would do that. They they want that. They they know that they, uh, what, what they really want is to get all these ideas that disagree with their ideas out of the public square. And uh, quite yeah. successful so far. And it's funny to see how open they are about it, like uh, both in American and Finnish media, when they have covered these uh, uh, 
protests against the corona restrictions or the curfews. Uh, the media has been talking about it in the way that they say that, uh, well, unfortunately, uh, the police cannot do about anything about these protests because this is in the constitution. So, uh, so yeah. they are pretty open about wanting to actually take away people's right to demonstrate. Yeah. Right. You know, there are also really there are uh, civil liberties issues with the lockdown. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, where does it say in the, in the American Constitution, where does it say that you can force people to stay in their homes? You know, we didn't say anything like that. That seems draconian, but they're doing it. It, it. it hasn't been litigated. It hasn't been challenged in the Supreme, in the court system. Yeah. But, uh, you know, well, it's, it's just happening. I think that uh, at the time the constitution was written, maybe the, the country was so united that there was no need for specific uh, restrictions because people would yeah. agree that, okay, we, we need to do this. We need to be careful about this. If they had uh, uh, the 21st century uh, uh, labs and uh, things like that, and knowledge about uh, viruses. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is, I understand the aspect of uh, of uh, freedom on this but on the other hand the the fact that being on lockdown is a good uh, way to to uh, stop the spreading of the of this virus is uh, yeah that makes sense yeah. I, because I, again i think especially for vulnerable people yeah. um, it makes a lot of sense so that and for uh, and I could actually pick up an audience questions uh, question about it. Uh, so there, uh, Keith Kardashian wants to know what do you think that uh, how do you think the COVID uh, will affect immigration and the election cycle? How do I think what will uh, the COVID epidemic pandemic? Oh, that how uh, it will well, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think that um, clearly people on the left, I, I think that they want it to continue. Uh, because they think it will damage Trump. They, they're, they're, one of the big things that they're doing, of course, is, is criticizing Trump's response, uh, that, that uh, he should have done more, should have done sooner, and all that. And so the, uh, the uh, ads for the Democrats have, have been focusing on that. And, and so that will be a major issue in the election. But I, I think that if that's why I think it's really in Trump's interest to get this thing over with as soon as possible. I think he understands that. Uh, but I think at the same time, he's apparently afraid to really bite the bullet. And the fact that he criticized the governor of Georgia for doing a sort of loosening up of this is, is you know, he, he doesn't really want to go out on a limb and say, let's go. Uh, because uh, they have this, you know, he put out these guidelines. Uh, of a sort of phased in uh, loosening up. And that's probably what will happen. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, that's going to be a big issue in the election, so, uh, how he handled it. And you know, know the Democrats are going to harp on how he, how he performed on this. And if, and, uh, uh, if lockdowns are still in effect on November 3rd, will it uh, reduce more the, Democratic vote or the, the Republican vote? Well, think? it's going to help the Democrats. One, one, one thing that, that would happen uh, is that the Democrats want mail-in ballots, and, and they're notoriously easy to commit fraud with. And uh, they can harvest these things. They can 
you know, get their hands on them and get the person to sign the name and, and then they'll, they'll mail them in. Um, so that, that's one thing that they want, they, because they would say that voting in person is dangerous nowadays, you see. And so if, if they get that, you know, I, I think there's no way that Trump can win the election. Um, and he's going to be in trouble anyway, because uh, his performance, he's not satisfying much of anybody right now. Um, but the alternative is obviously worse. So I think that's one way that he can win is to people realize that Joe Biden, you know, has, has his own negatives. The guy is senile. He not only gets a brain in his head. Um, couldn't uh, find his way out of a parking garage, as Dr. Carlson said once. Uh, he, uh, I, I think Trump will dominate him in a debate. But what the Democrats are going to do is shield him from scrutiny as best they can. But I don't think they, you know, you're running for president, you have to be out there in a certain amount. And, and it's, it's traditional now to have these debates. They will limit the number of debates. They'll, they'll limit how long the debates are. And they'll try to get them to have really softball, easy questions for uh, for Biden. Uh, we'll see. I mean, that's that's certainly what they'll do. They'll try to protect them. And it'll be very important who, who he picks to, to be his vice presidential candidate, because uh, Biden may not survive the four years. He's really not doing well. And um, there's some of these interviews where he just, he can't finish a sentence where he doesn't know how he started the sentence anymore. And, and it's just, uh, he's really not together mentally anymore. Yeah. Uh, I sometimes also have trouble uh, finishing my sentences, but uh, f f during the primaries, I I was not sure if uh, his, his dementia was a uh, an act uh, that uh, or and his obsolete uh, slogans like no malarkey and, and these, I wasn't sure if they were an act or was he really senile. But now, uh, the the two or three last weeks, what I've been watching, uh, yeah, it seems that it is. It, he's not acting. It's a uh, yeah because maybe he, he really wanted tuned in American politics, aren't you? <laughs> Because maybe he wanted to, I thought maybe he wants to appeal to some people that like uh, seem funny or something yeah, like that. But uh, no, it, yeah, maybe. now it looks, uh, I don't know, it, it looks serious. Yeah. And uh, and Trump, I've also been following Trump's uh, these coronavirus uh, rallies uh, that he has every uh, day, and he mentioned this openly that, uh, yeah, Biden he doesn't know uh, where he is, and uh, and uh, in one, in the last primary, uh, or on the last uh, Democratic debate on CNN against when there was only Biden and uh, and Sanders, he said that he would take a uh, a female uh, vice president. Yeah. So. Uh, and I think a female of color, you know, like yeah. a black woman or something. Yeah. We'll see. I, I I do think that would be a danger for him if he picked somebody who was just too far out. Uh, and too far left because people are, are going to be thinking about the fact that Biden may not make it through the, the, the his term. Do you really want someone like Elizabeth Warren there? Do you want someone like uh, Kamala Harris? Uh, yeah, that's iffy. Um, so I, I don't know. And, and I think it's going to be easy to, 
paint the Democrats as radical. I mean, a lot of the Democrats wanted uh, medical care for illegal aliens. They want, you know, drivers like free education. They want uh, no enforcement of immigration laws at all. It's basically saying anybody that wants to come to the United States can. And once they get here, then they'll sign them up for medical care and God knows what else. That's insane on the face of it, uh, because uh, there are billions of people in the world who would love to get those benefits. Um, we'll see. And I saw a couple of days ago, uh, Bernie Sanders had uh, published a tweet in which he criticized uh, Trump's plans to restrict immigration. And uh, he said that we need to put an end to this sort of horrible racism and xenophobia. And I think I thought it was extremely funny because uh, what Trump was saying there was what Sanders was saying just a few few years ago. I saw this uh, uh, interview of Bernie Sanders, I think it was three or four years ago. And in that he said that we cannot have open borders. It would be a disaster for the American worker if yeah, we have open yeah. borders. But now he suddenly pretends as if he never believed in that. Yeah, you can get quotes from Obama. Same way. You can get quotes from, from Clinton, Bill Clinton. Same way. The Democrat Party has changed. It used to be the party of, of, of working class people. No more. It's the party now of diversity and importing uh, these people who will vote for them and importing people who are un uneducated and who will never, ever be a, a group that really contributes to American society, uh, except at the very menial kind of jobs um, you know, if you have any concept of, you know, IQ and the fact that it's heritable and, and um, how important it is for life, they're importing millions and millions and millions of people, low IQ, uneducated people. And they think that some, and, and they, you know, as soon as this coronavirus happened and Trump said he wanted to limit immigration, they're saying, well, where are all these doctors and nurses and all these wonderful people that we're bringing in? And it's just simply false. You look at, at the people that are actually the great majority of them are not. But then, you know, you got these Chinese immigrants and they're smart and you got people from India and they're smart. But uh, the vast majority of them are coming from Mexico or Honduras and Africa now. And uh, they're never going to contribute to this country in any meaningful way. And of course, the, 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 besides all that, they're, they are uh, very much they their existence threatens white interest that, that we will be a minority a much hated minority in the near future and i think they have uh, become pretty brazen with their agenda like uh, in the uk uh, they have had uh, during the covid uh, pandemic this uh, habit that they every friday uh, they go to balconies to clap for the healthcare workers in the NHS, the public healthcare yeah, system. Yeah, and it's a sort yeah. of virtue signal thing people like to do. But uh, I think it was last week that this video was published uh, that was called named You Clap For Me Now. And it had these immigrant workers uh, in uh, healthcare and other areas. And they say that uh, we pick the food from your ground and we take care of you when you are sick. So And we brought yeah, yeah, peace yeah. to your streets. So you clap for me now. <laughs> so, so they are basically right. demanding respect and actually claiming that they brought peace to the streets of UK. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that, that's one of the big raps that one of the big uh, rationales that they have is that we need 
people to take care of old people now because we are popular white population is aging uh and um so we need all these people to come in here well we don't need to make them citizens but that's what they want of course i noticed in japan they are admitting people uh to, to do this kind of work but they are doing it on a certain you know term so that they have to go home when it's done they're doing that in israel they're doing it a lot of in countries that have a sort of a sense that they want to stay the way they they are but um not in america if you say well you know that these people shouldn't become citizens well then you're really a racist you know you're a horrible person it's all geared to changing the demographic balance and changing the voting political structure and everything and and it's just happening and there's nothing can yeah those countries those countries don't have white guilt and uh, i've heard was it Jared Diamond that said uh, it's no use uh, of lecturing Japanese because they will not listen uh, to this? But uh, yeah, the, the future of the US looks a bit like uh, the one of South Africa's and uh, yeah. about South Africa and Joe Biden. Uh, on my Twitter feed, I I saw this or last week. I, I saw a a Biden speech against South Africa from '86. And in '86, Joe Biden was very uh, sharp, and he was uh, very angry at the South African uh, uh, regime, as he called it. And uh, I don't. This was back in the '80s, or what? Yeah, '86. '86. And, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. And he actually used that to brag uh, in his campaign that I was uh, fighting for this change that happened uh, in uh, South Africa. And these people never actually acknowledge what sort of damage they did to the country, both to the black and the white residents there by ending apartheid. So it's like this fantasy mm. that uh, their history of South Africa stops to the moment when, when Nelson Mandela became president. And they, don't, they never talk about anything that happened after that. Right, right, right. They don't talk about the crime and they don't talk about uh, how white people are being really dispossessed. And- you can't get jobs and so on. So yeah, very bad. And in Europe, you see this same sort of bias uh, in media very easily that uh, uh, all countries that are basically pro their own people, like Hungary, are demonized by the media throughout Europe. And the uh, countries that uh, welcome immigration, they get away with everything. Like uh, Hungary is basically called a dictatorship in Western and Northern European media. And all the while, for example, the French and the Spanish governments, they are beating up, uh, using their police to beat up their own uh, native citizens on the streets when they demonstrate. And they let in migrants who basically terrorize their own citizens. And nothing critical is ever being said about this. Uh, country. Yeah. So it's a very clear double standard that if you fight for your own people, then you are the bad guy. Yeah. Remember when, when uh, Hungary uh, made an announcement that they were trying to encourage people to have children, you know, and to yeah. make families. Oh, and they went crazy about that. That This was just something that was absolutely horrible to prefer children of your own people to bringing in other people. Yeah. Uh, it was just horrible. Yeah, le- leftists always ask us, uh, okay, how how will you uh, 
correct the birth rate in Finland. And I say, yeah. look at Hungary. And they say, no, but Hungary yeah. is, uh, is a bad country. <laughs> so we, we shouldn't, but they, they have succeeded. Their, their uh, birth rates have uh, risen fr- the, from 1.5 to 1.8 in just one year. Yeah. So it is working. And uh, yeah, about the restrictions in Europe, look at France, look at what's happening in France. Uh, you have uh, a week or two ago, there was uh, Easter and France had banned all the Easter uh, celebrations. But now today, uh, the Ramadan uh, started and uh, yeah. the, the French politicians are saying that we will not restrict Ramadan celebrations. So that it is all the policies are against uh, the yeah. native people and yeah. they are for the immigrants. And that is something that is, uh, it is outrageous to, to see that there is, as Tina said previously, that uh, there is no, oppo- the people are not opposing this. Uh, yeah. There is yeah. a very small amount of people that even talk about this and the, uh, it seems that other uh, our fellow citizens are, are not interested in, in even acknowledging this uh, fact that these policies are yeah, all against not, us. They're probably afraid of the Muslims. The Muslims, unlike the Christians, would riot probably if they said you can't have any. Uh... Yeah, actually, they, they are rioting even even if yeah. uh, even though they they they've been allowed to. It's uh, in France. It's. Uh, it's been riots for five nights. That's right, they've been riots lately. Right? Yeah. yeah, because uh, on Saturday there was one guy that uh, uh, fell off his uh, moped or his motorcycle. And uh, so that that's a reason for rioting all over France. There's a... Yeah, it looks like a war zone. They are like uh, shooting uh, fireworks at people's apartments. They are setting cars on fire. So you, you cannot really fathom that it's a western european country you are looking at when it looks like baghdad or something yeah, like that yeah and the, the police has received orders to not uh, respond to these uh, attacks and mm-hmm. the leftists were like uh, no that that's fake news so the police published the radio uh, order and now they are saying they they, are not, they I haven't heard their comment on the this fact that it is true that the French police, when they are uh, look, when they are uh, trying to enforce the lockdown, they have to fine only French people. They have been fining people in churches, in uh, in people that are going to work, or any people, but not the migrants or the the, the, the immigrant pe- uh, population. Yeah. They they have a free pass to riot and to do anything and this is uh well i think this is nothing new but i i don't understand why people are still uh, not responding to this uh, injustice yeah well you know seems like white populations have a you know history now of not doing anything you know they just are okay i don't know yeah the, in the era of Enoch Powell, it seemed that people were active, but now it seems like uh, the the entertainment industry has uh, taken all their uh, attention, and that's uh, a thing that uh, well, we, we we must find a way to to change this. Mm-hmm. 
But we have um, some audience questions, maybe Tina can read them. Um, yeah, so uh, there is a question saying, uh, Matt Heimbach, bah, how do we know who is real? Uh, well, maybe maybe it was a, a random. Uh, uh, but, um, how, how do we know what is real? Uh, how do we know who is real? Uh, I don't know. Maybe they are referring to like political candidates, and then they are uh, just messages of support saying out of line rocks and that this new uh, concept of show is great. So uh, thank you uh, to all of you. And and, and there was actually. Uh, about that uh, submissive nature of uh, uh, Western and Northern European people, you sometimes hear these extreme examples that sort of uh, blow your mind. Like in Sweden, there was a case in which uh, a migrant man uh, gave a, a bottle of whiskey to a 15-year-old girl. She, uh, he... Uh, had messaged her online on some social media site and had uh, managed to invite the girl to meet, come and meet him at some shopping mall. There he got her so drunk that she was basically having an alcohol poisoning and he raped her uh, in the uh, bathroom of the shopping mall. And in the end, the girl managed to call her father for help. And the girl's father came and he just picked up his daughter from the rapist and took her to the hospital and called the police. So he, he was face to face with the man who had just raped his 15-year-old daughter. And he just took the girl calm, calmly and walked away without doing anything. So it, it seems uh, shocking. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that... Yeah, men would have killed for in in, uh, in the old days. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, just, uh, I would agree that it's okay to to do that. Um, and on a wider scale, you also see that the uh, so that the uh, now that the there have been. Um, there has been talk about this report about the Rotherham uh, grooming uh, gang situation that was going on for decades. And uh, for decades, right. parents uh, uh, went to the police, they told the police that their daughters are being uh, abused by these gangs, and the police didn't do anything about it. So the parents just left it at that. And the yeah. situation was able to continue for decades. For decades? And, uh, yeah, they wouldn't believe the girls. They, the girls would go in there. Uh, there was one in particular. She went in there and they had to take focus on. And they just got bored. You know, they said, well, it's your lifestyle choice. It's a 15-year-old girl or something like that. Uh, they, they don't, you know, contextualize it, how she was forced, threatened, uh, or anything like that. And I noticed that that they, the prosecutor up in uh, Manchester, I believe, um, was Pakistani himself. And, I, and it just occurred, you know, when I read that, that what was really happening there was that the Brits themselves, the, the, the you know, the, the white uh, uh, Brits were too cowed, too afraid to be called a racist. So they, they wouldn't do that, you know, that, they just let it go, just sort of, oh, you know, doesn't matter. I don't want to be called a racist. Or it took a Pakistani who's a, who's critical of Islam, calls himself a Muslim, but he's, you know, critical of Islam, 
to to actually make the prosecution. Yeah. I mean, that's, what does that say about the Brits that they that they just let it happen? You're talking about all these social workers. You're talking about police. It's amazing. Yeah, the, the whites are like. Uh, <clears throat> It doesn't matter. I will not vote because it doesn't matter who who is uh, in charge. But uh, I, I've noticed that it makes a big difference who is in charge. And uh, <clears throat> in in the what we have heard about the Rotherham report, and of course the UK UK government has decided to withhold this full report from the public and. Um, because of the COVID coverage and because the coronavirus has uh, people's attention, they have been able to do it with several, uh, somewhat uh, uh, little criticism that there is a petition demanding the government to release the report, uh, but uh, it has something like 20,000 signatures, which of course is a, a significant amount, but when you think about the population size of UK, it's still very little. And uh, what we know about the report is that, for example, the Home Office of the UK, like it, it was a government order to tr- treat these uh, cases as if the girls had made an informed decision to yeah. be in these relationships. And they were talked about as sex affairs instead of rapes. That's just amazing. In America, we have this something called statutory rape. You know, it doesn't matter if the girl agrees to it. Uh, if she's underage, it's rape, uh, and um, you know. But they don't seem to. They didn't certainly do that over there. Yeah, but anyhow, um, let's say that they were convicted, or prosecuted, or convicted. Does it really make a difference? Because they will not get deported uh, anyhow. So yeah, they wouldn't get deported. Yeah, they would. Uh, they would be in prison, of course, but uh, for how long? Yeah, for how long? A lot of them have not had very long prison terms. And, yeah, the, the best example in our hometown, we had a grooming gang in uh, 2018, and uh, the guys got four years, but since they were first-time offenders and uh, they were under 21, uh, they are already free. So uh, it's uh, 2020. They didn't. They, their sentence was 16 months. So uh, it's, wow. it's not uh, very serious uh, and they will never get deported because uh, because yeah, reasons. <laughs> yeah, so I think it all goes to show that uh, these problems need to be stopped at the border and not when they are already in the country because it's so much easier yeah. to deal with this at the border. Yeah, and, and really they have to be, the whole thing has to be reversed. There has to be deportations and um, even even the people who uh, are here legally and, and you know that, that's because in America already a majority of the babies who are born are non-white. So uh, the, the you know the, the left would just be patient; they could just wait it out. But they they want to speed it up, and uh, so they're not taking their foot off the gas, as it were. But uh, they're, they're going to win. You know, it's hard to see how they can lose it ultimately. I hate to say that. Yeah, all states are turning blue because of uh, their voting uh, habits. and. Uh, 
Yeah, that it uh, no longer seems like a solution to keep America majority white. That uh, it only seems possible to think some sort of other solutions yeah. way up there in the future. That maybe you yeah. could have a separate states or something like that. But you're not going to have the full United States anymore. No, that that would be one thing is to split the country up. But we're a long way from that. Uh, We don't have the political will to just deport. I mean, you got 100 million non-whites in the country, more than that probably. And um, what are you going to do with 100 million people? You know, you yeah. You deported, uh, you know, a thousand a day. It would be just scratching the bucket. Yeah, and uh, dropping the bucket. About the about the coronavirus, for example, New York is uh, the most hit city but i don't think people realize that new york is uh, there's like 30% white people yeah. so whites are my minority there but yeah. when when it's talked about in the media nobody really realizes that yeah actually new york is uh, it's not a white city oh yeah no, no. Uh, maybe no. maybe in the us it's uh, it's common knowledge but uh, I think here in Europe, people don't realize that uh, those uh, demographics in uh, in in that uh, city. And there are there is some positive development uh, in Europe when it comes to immigration. That uh, I don't think we are going to see a repeat of the 2015 migrant crisis yeah. again, uh, because yeah. now that uh, Erdogan tried to. Uh, basically use the migrants as a weapon against uh, uh, Greeks and um, open the border so that he could he would be able to push migrants into Greece. Uh, the EU actually started to uh, respond to it that they instead of uh, demanding the Greeks to open the border, the EU said that okay, we support Greece in fighting for their borders and we support Greece in keeping these people out. So I think this is a positive development that because of this erratic decision by Erdogan, you now see that the EU elite has sort of turned against uh, immigration from that area. That that would be uh, that would be a positive development certainly. But I think in Europe too, though you know it's it's on a path now that it's hard to go back on without some serious real upheavals where they get serious about deporting. Uh, France and France and the UK in particular, uh, Sweden. Sweden is a good example of the uh, coronavirus uh, handling. They have had absolutely no lockdown, and they have twenty times more deaths than we have in Finland. And uh, and around uh, half of them in the city areas are for Somalis because they don't follow the restrictions. Right. Right. And so that's the thing. I mean, my impression is that that Swedes are generally uh, keeping social distance, and they don't have to, but they they're advised to, and especially if they're vulnerable. But yeah, I, I think then you see that in here too. Uh, and I think other places that the people who are most affected by the virus are non-whites. Uh, in in America, we have Detroit is a hotbed of this, and it's a black city basically. They don't. They don't pay attention to these guidelines, and so yeah, they get more likely to get it. Um, there are probably other reasons as well, but uh, that's part of it, I think. 
And I think it's sort of funny that the white people or white liberal, liberals at least are always much more worried about black people than black people are themselves. That now uh, white Europeans are, or liberal Europeans are all worried about how the coronavirus will spread in Africa, whereas Africans themselves don't really care about it and they are not worried about it. And it goes for mm. all problems like birth rate that white liberals are horrified of the poverty in Africa and that they... Uh, are horrified that the children keep being born into these extremely poor circumstances. But when you actually ask the black mothers there, what what do they think about it? They are not worried at all. So it's yeah. all like with this white liberal projection. Yeah, yeah, uh, very true. We're, we're the empathic culture. And um, the media, of course, is aware of this. And so, you know, every time they want to, if they feel an immigration is threatened, they'll put a picture of a poor, struggling person who suffers because he can't immigrate here in some way. I mean, the classic was that uh, Syrian child who was washed up on the beach. I think there was a whole other story about how it happened, but that pulled at the heartstrings and uh, Western, well, Western peoples are very prone to reacting to that. It's a big part of my book that I published in September. Yes, absolutely. And it it's always used against us uh, that uh, yes, yes, yes. in a negative way that uh, they <clears throat> use it to manipulate people. And uh, I have always said to people that if somebody is trying to appeal to your emotions, you always should be very wary because they are usually trying to get you to make a bad decision you wouldn't make uh, if you got to think about it in a rational way. Right, right. You're not supposed to think in rational terms. And certainly not think of your own interests. You should think in terms of your emotion of empathy and suffering person. And, you know, when, when like when they have a had an earthquake in Haiti, well, what happened is, you know, they show all the suffering people, and then pretty soon uh, there are these programs to adopt Haitian babies and stuff. You know, and then you know all these white women are lining up to adopt Haitian babies. Well, I'd like to see what it's like. Five years later, you know, after the press is, after the publicity is gone, where they're living with this child is really a very different creature from their own people. But, uh, so you have a, a new book uh, in September. Yeah, in last, last September, I uh, published a book on, on Western people's individualism and the Western liberal tradition. And, um, you know, a, a big theme of that is, uh, Western culture uh, is empathic. Uh, we we're higher on on empathy, uh, and this is exploited now because uh, we have this hostile media elite, academic elite, and uh, so yeah, we we're very susceptible to what I call moral communities. We we want to be a good person, and we are easily shamed, and so being called a racist uh, is a very pejorative thing. And, and people, uh, you know, want to have a good reputation in their community. And so they uh, conform to these uh, ideas. And you mentioned uh, that um, something people often notice, that it's uh, especially white young liberal women who are into this uh, yes. sort of activism. and. Um, uh, it's uh, often said that it's a feminine influence on uh, the Western countries and especially politics that uh, uh, has made us so weak that uh, 
our politics are are influenced by these uh, very feminine traits like empathy instead of uh, rationality. So what do you think? Is this women's fault? (laughs) One of the findings in psychology is that women are more empathic than men. And so women are much more susceptible to these messages. And uh, so there's there's a a gap politically in America, and I'm sure elsewhere, where where women are more likely to vote for for the sort of liberal social policies and more likely to vote Democrat. Most liberal people in the world are young white women. Uh, They they are the ones that really resonate, especially if they're not married. Uh, So that is a big problem. And... uh, hard to see how it's going to be overcome. Um, again, the educational system is reinforcing them. They go to college and they get, you know, inundated with these messages that pull for empathy and pull for, uh, and, you know, hatred of white history and its culture. So that's what happened. A lot of men are, though, are, are into that as well. Men are not immune to this, but it's just that they're less likely to do it, to be that way. Yeah, I... Uh... I found your book and I, I put the link in our chat and it has a 4.6 out of 5. Uh, Rating on Amazon, it yeah, seems. So, um, well, I think about that, those reviews, though, the, all the negative ones, as far as I can tell, are people who didn't even read it. They're used to, used to venting their hatred of it. Uh, and they're people that know my work, my other work, you know, and automatically assume it's going to be horrible. I, I don't think they would like it, actually, if they read the whole thing. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, that's there's, good re- there's just some very good reviews on there. Some very intelligent uh, reviews that really go over the thing and, and make some sense. It's good. There's one negative review by Isaiah Berlin, um, and he said, or he or she says, uh, it's a white supremacist author who is known for propagating yeah. views which are described as being anti-Semitic and racist. And yeah, the source no, that, is that, Wikipedia. That's, that's kind of this person did not read the book. Yeah, that's there's a, no attempt to really deal with the book. Yeah, we, just, just McDonald's a, a jerk. He, we, we should, yeah, he's we, a bad person. I I haven't yet written a book, but uh, I suppose that uh, we'll get the same. same. Yeah, you get the same thing. Yeah, Yeah, and it's horrible to see how this is affecting science. And you, of course, have experience of this because you are a former university professor. And just a a couple of months ago, I saw uh, some liberals uh, complaining to the University of Oulu, which is my hometown, that uh, uh, the researcher Edward Dutton, uh, who has written about the racial differences and gender differences, uh, has a docent in the university, so he's a guest researcher. And uh, the university uh, replied to these people who were complaining on Twitter and said that we have looked into this uh, already and there is no way we can strip his docent from him. So unfortunately, there is nothing we can do about it. So they had no problem with his scientific work, but just because of his political views, they wanted to take his docenter away from him. Well, that's uh, good that they didn't remove him, but uh, yeah, it's sad to see. Uh, I think in universities in the UK have been pressured to, to get rid of academics. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the... Um... The discoverer of uh, DNA was also stripped of oh, his... Oh, Watson, yeah, I mean... 
James Watson, and that's one of the saddest things. And he just expressed his opinion. Um, and he lost uh, his appointments. He lost uh, a lot of money. He had to sell his Nobel Prize, I believe. Uh, yeah. His statue or something. And uh, so, but it's really, you know, they, they want every last one of us to be standing on a street corner trying to get a handout. You know, they want us to be impoverished and, and uh, absolutely destroyed. And that's the way it uh, works these days. Yeah, there's a, a couple of uh, question, audience questions. Uh, uh, how would you compare Paul Gottfried or Laura, Laura Loomer with other Jews or Jews in general? Well, they, they're certainly better. And, and uh, I've had several debates with uh, Gottfried uh, about my books and so on, but he's a basic good guy. I, I, I don't question his motives. I think he's pretty honest. And he was, you know, his career was, uh, I think he really has a grudge against the neoconservatives because they, uh, he feels that they really ruined his career in academia. I don't know Laura Luna well, but again, I, you know, I, I would welcome anybody who's sort of on our side. Uh, but, you know, these people are not going to really emphasize the role of Jews in all this, uh, the way that I do say. So uh, I can't count them as allies, really. But uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm happy to see uh, some of them really working against immigration and things like that. But uh, yeah. And, yeah, and I have uh, talked to or made a couple of live streams with um, uh, Paul Gottfried, and I actually agree that he is very honest when it comes to yeah. uh, these uh, things that I was actually pretty surprised when uh, uh, we asked him about these uh, uh, sort of Jewish interests when it comes to policies and uh, uh, he he didn't for a moment deny their existence because I'm so used to uh, uh, this uh, discussion that no, there are no Jewish political interests uh, that uh, Jews have in general, and that no, there is no specific uh, Jewish multiculturalist uh, agenda. But Paul Gottfried had no problem admitting that, uh, yes, there is uh, that sort of political bias and that uh, Jews are generally very pro-multicultural, and it is because of a certain ideology towards whites. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Uh as I say, he has criticized my work because I, I he thinks I overemphasize the Jews or something like that. So I've had these debates with him, but uh, I'm glad he said that. I mean, because it's obvious that the Jews are very politically involved and they are involved essentially on the left. And even when they're uh, on the, on the, the so-called conservatives, they're new conservatives. Their main interest is Israel. And they have acted to move the Republican Party in America to the left on all these social issues that are near and dear to the hearts of liberals. So uh, they are not on our side. And uh, um, I mean, th th that's part of the consensus on immigration is that uh, you have uh, certainly have some Jews that are funding the Republican Party, but they're not at all, uh, you know, they're very much in favor of typical Jewish issues uh, when it comes to things like uh, <clears throat> immigration. And um, you know, gay rights, transsexuality, all that kind of stuff. I think uh, nationalists have this um, 
maybe a bit too humble attitude uh, when it comes to finding allies that uh, if you compare us to liberals, uh, liberals are very puritanistic that if uh, if you disagree with one thing about them, they will ostracize you and they will not consider you their ally. But uh, mm. on the other hand, nationalists often are too eager to find allies that they, if somebody says something mildly critical about immigration, national, nationalists will in, uh, immediately praise that person as if uh, that person is uh, immediately an ally of ours. And I think it comes from this uh, sort of uh, feeling of inferior, inferiority that uh, we are used to being in the marginals, we are used to being the small guy. So maybe people are a bit too eager to find allies where there really aren't any. I, I agree. I agree. And it's almost like sometimes you have the feeling that uh, people are searching around for some Jew that they can cite, you know, that, that supports their idea or something, as if that gives us some validation because a Jewish person said it. Um, that's part of the, the problem. But yeah, it, <clears throat> I've written about this that, that you know, I, I have nothing against wanting to make alliances with Jews, but I think, you know, to really be on board with us, I think they should direct their activism to the Jewish community and try to get them to change their attitudes. Because that has not happened at this point at all. The Jewish community is still gung ho for immigration, gung ho for multiculturalism, very much on board with all the changes and all the the, the sexual politics that we have had, and um, they are a huge, an enormous power in our society. Uh, only 2% or so, but um, huge presence in the media, and because of their financial uh, power, they are able to uh, really sway the political culture. Uh, if you are a politician and you oppose Israel, for example, in serious trouble in terms of money. Uh, in the US, you have the APAC and the CPAC, yeah. but have you heard about the FPAC, American no. First uh, Political Activists no, I haven't Conference? Uh, Michelle Malkin was uh, one of their speakers. So uh, mm -hmm. there's one uh, audience question What is your view on uh, Michelle Malkin? Mine? Um, well, she's been saying some very good things about immigration. It's sort of like the, the Pakistani prosecutor, you know, uh, in the UK, where, you know, it almost takes a non-white to really get out there and say this. You can't accuse her of being a racist, um, maybe. But, uh, yeah, so she's, she's been very good about, uh, about a lot of this stuff and more, uh, more forthright than almost any uh, more or less mainstream uh, figure. Um, the only few, I would say, you know, maybe Ann Coulter and Tucker Carlson have been really good about these things, but uh, she's very good. And what do you? But I, I'm sure she's got her limitations. She's not going to talk about Jewish activism. She's not going to talk about. Uh, and I don't know if she talks about deportation, uh, what she would do about birthright citizenship. I, I don't really know about that. I think she's uh, mostly against these, and I think she. Well, at least in the AFPAC uh, the, the conference, they are against uh, this uh, Israeli influence. So uh, I think she's okay. But uh, 
Yeah, and that, uh, about these people like Malkin and Tucker Carlson that who have, I think, been drifting towards nationalism lately, uh, do you think we can expect a wider phenomenon like this of the mainstream figures coming to <coughs> national coming to be more nationalist, or are these just like a, a exceptions to the rule? Yeah, they, they seem to know how far they can go, you know, without really getting too stepping on the third rail, as it were. Uh, Tucker Carlson is the, is my, the best mainstream media figure with the largest audience right now. I mean, he he uh, uh, has a large following. They, of course, they've gone after him. They, they've gotten, you know, if you watch his show, he, all, all the, the advertisers on the show are very small time companies. Uh, they don't, the, the big companies that you'd see on CNN or MSNBC, even though he's got a larger audience than they have, because they've been pressured to drop Carlson as, as someone that they advertise on. Um, and he's good. And he, he emphasizes multicultural issues and immigration and things like that far more than other people do. Um, and I, I don't, I, I listen to him pretty regularly. I, I don't, I don't hear Rush Limbaugh that much, but he's pretty good. Sean Hannity on their hand is absolutely useless. He's just a sort of mouthpiece for Trump. He sort of supports everything Trump does. Uh, there's no sense of uh, ethnicity or even, um, he, he doesn't, he doesn't emphasize immigration multiculturalism much. It's basically, his show is about defending Trump on various things, attacking Democrats. Uh, that's about it. Yeah, I think that's a major problem when I follow the American political dis discussion that this tribalism between the parties that um, yeah. it often blurs uh, the thinking of uh, people who have otherwise right intentions that they understand their problems and they understand what's, what should be done, uh, but they get so entangled in this uh, Republican-Democrat polarization uh, that uh, that it ends up making them useless because they end up then supporting everything Republicans do and uh, being against everything yeah. Democrats do. Well, as many people have said, you know, that the conservatives in this country have conserved nothing. Uh, they, they back down on everything. And um, part of that was, uh, you know, by design. I mean, they, they sometimes you'll have uh, a presidential candidate like, say, George W. Bush, uh, you know, he'll make sounds about illegal immigration but then as soon as he's in there he sort of forgets about that you know and then he'll have an amnesty program and you could say the same about trump to a great extent you know he had this great rhetoric and then and then he got elected and we're all waiting for it to really make a difference and yeah. uh uh, then there is another audience question saying, what do you think about black conservatives and their role? How much immigration hurts the status of black Americans in workforce? Are black Americans negative towards cheap labor immigration? Well, black Americans should be the, the most opposed to immigration of anyone because these people have come in and, and destroyed the black labor market. Uh, and now blacks used to be the, the main minority group in this country. Now there are actually more Latinos in the country than blacks. So their political interests are, are lessened. 
Um, so they have not benefited at all from immigration, but their leadership in general is not attuned to that. They're part of this sort of democratic party as the party of diversity routine. And so they have uh, been entirely on board with it. Now they've got these black conservatives, but you know, they're like window dressing for the conservative movement. They, they uh, people like Candace Owens, uh, for example, and there's a couple other people, and they don't, you know, they're. I think conservatives love to find a black person, any non-white, to take a conservative point of view because they don't want to be called a racist, and so uh, they welcome these people with open arms and give them big forums and everything. It's a real good career path now for for black. Uh, intellectuals that uh, they could get out there and, and be conservative and it's probably a lot easier for them than if you try to be liberal where there's everybody else who's doing the same thing. Um, so yeah, I've I, I ne not been impressed by by them. And I, I do think that, that these mainstream Republican conservatives basically want them because they're, they want to put out an idea that they're not racist. And, and so they're so sensitive to that. You know, they, they're so worried that, that, oh, don't call me racist, anything but that, you know. But amongst the black community, there seems to be also this uh, HOTEP movement. And they seem, uh, to me, they, they seem pretty uh, cool or based. Wait, which one? What movement? HOTEPs. Uh, it uh, comes from some Egyptian word, uh, and it's this black nationalist and uh, ultra-conservative movement who are very critical uh, of the Jewish influence. Uh, it's a sort of fringe yeah. movement, but they are an interesting group in American black people. Yeah, you got people like uh, Louis Farrakhan, you know, always really talked about Jews. Um, and of course, he's viewed as a horrible anti-Semite. <clears throat> so you have people like that. Um, but uh, I mean, it'd be nice to have a, I mean, I'm certainly a white identitarian, uh, but I would not want to, I've never wanted to write black people out of America. I mean, they're part of our history and I, I don't want to really uh, deport them or something like that or reinstitute race laws. Um, I, I think that we, you know, as I said, back in the 60s, I, I look forward to a country that would be fairer towards black people. Uh, and and uh, But not, what I did not look forward to was a country where whites are a minority. I, I hope, to, I assume that then we would still be a white country, and that, but that we would treat blacks more fairly. And that that's out of the question now. I mean, we're slated to be a minority and blacks are as bad off as ever really uh, to the extent that they have achieved anything a lot of it's affirmative action but you, you the problem with blacks really is that they have this underclass of, of people that are uneducable and, and uh, low iq and, and really can't be helped by any way we we have no educational technology to deal with that um you know so that just uh, it drags the whole community down and um really uh is a huge problem in American. Yeah, and I society. think in a in a way uh, that is a, a sort of uh, the attitude whites have uh, 
towards those black people's problems is so a sort of a white man's burden of uh, our oh, time that uh, they have this idea that all people should live like white people and if all people yeah. aren't living like white, like white people that is a problem and even yeah. if they have no way to force our way of living on these people they they keep seeing it as a problem if black community is different from ours instead of accepting that okay maybe they need a bit different solutions than what works yeah. for us yeah, we still can't be frank about the reality of racial differences uh, and, and accept that some of these differences are genetic. They're influenced genetically. We, we have no way of overcoming them at, at this time and probably well into the future. Uh, and so part of conservative ideology, sort of mainstream conservative ideology is that we're all the same. And they take great pride in that, you know, uh, whereas the left is into identity politics conservatives act like they're being really edgy by saying, you know, we're all the same. Democrats are the real racists and all that. And it's, it's silly to the max. But uh, yeah, uh, we have uh, maybe three more fa quick questions uh, is uh, yeah, I have to go. I really should. Be there. Yeah, yeah, so, so the, the, just a yes or no. Uh, is Bill Rainery an example of a rich donor? I don't know who that is. No, he's good. Yeah, he's, he's had a big effect. He is. He has some money. Uh, it'd be nice if he had billions instead of millions, because uh, with billions you could really, you know, do something, and you could do various experiments, and and it wouldn't matter if you lost ten million dollars. Uh, you know, someone. That's what I'm saying. Someone like with the same with the money of Bill Gates or. Uh, Jeff Bezos, that would could change the world. But uh, Regnery has done important good things. He started Occidental Quarterly. He started the the, uh, the uh, National Policy Institute. And um, you know whatever happens, you can't blame Bill. He's a good guy. Uh, and uh, I uh, our movement's better for having him. But you know it's not enough. You know and you look about. As I said, when you look at these Jewish donors, you've got someone like Michael Bloomberg. He can he can write off a $25 million check right tomorrow and never miss it. Uh, so is George Soros. So they they uh, you know, that, that's what we're up against. Okay, and uh, second question. Do you feel Heimbach was a traitor? Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm glad he's gone. Uh, he, uh, I never liked him because he was parading around and swastikas and all that. I, I, I don't, and I, I'd met him once. I, I did think he had a sort of Fuhrer complex. I think he, he was all about his own sort of thing and uh, wanting to be some kind of absolute leader. And uh, he, he showed himself as being morally degenerate. But then uh, I think he had an affair with his friend and supporter's wife or something like that and, and, and but then you know renouncing the whole thing and, and uh, talking about you know this grand coalition uh, you know the working class or something like that you know he's just another leftist uh, stupid ass I, I, I'm, I'm very happy he's gone okay that's the kind of guy we don't need 
Okay, and the, the last uh, audience question, what do you think of VDARE? Are they good? They're very good, very good. Yeah. You know, they're as good as you can be. Uh, and, and, and uh, well, they publish me, they publish Jared Taylor, they publish uh, a lot of people. And they're very successful. And, and that's the thing. Uh, Peter Grimmel has really made a success of this operation. They're, they're well-funded uh, and they're influential. And, um, you know, they, I'm sure they they're feel that they're held back. I mean, they have tried to deplatform them like everybody else, uh, but uh, they, they really succeeded. And I know he's got a network of donors that are very uh, committed. And so, yeah, he's, he's a force on, on, on our side. Yes, so we know that you are on uh, schedule. So, uh, uh, do you have uh, any final words about uh, uh, where people can find you, and uh, especially about the bo new uh, book you mentioned, uh, where people can uh, order your uh, literary work? Yeah, my, my book is is on Amazon. It's called Individualism in the Western Liberal Tradition. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's only on Amazon, really, and. Um, I edit the Accidental Observer, where we have a lot of uh, articles related to our issues. I edit the Accidental Quarterly, which is also articles related to our issues, but it, it's more academic, uh, longer articles, uh, footnoted and all that. So that's what I'm about. But thank you. It's been a nice uh, interview. And maybe we can do it again. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much. I'll, I have to go. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Where is... Uh, uh, here. Okay, so uh, this was uh, tonight's episode of uh, Out of Line. Episode yeah, and four. I would like to remind you that uh, in an hour uh, on Guides to Culture channel, uh, which is a uh, Frodi Media channel here on uh, uh, D Live and also on YouTube, uh, but I recommend that you uh, uh, subscribe or follow his uh, D Live channel here. Uh, he will have Jared Taylor on uh, on his Decameron Film Festival series, and uh, it's a series in which uh, Frodi has different guests on who have chosen movies or TV series they will talk about. So it's something different that you have these guests that are familiar to pretty much everyone who follows nationalist live streams and videos, but the topics are something completely new. And tonight uh, in one hour they will have Jared Taylor on uh, uh, and they will be talking about a Japanese movie from 1962 called Harakiri. And uh, I haven't actually seen that movie, but uh, I, I will definitely be still watching the live stream because uh, uh, Jared is always uh, very interesting to listen to. Yeah, and also there's uh, Red Eyes TV's Flashback Friday starting... Uh but now, but yes, uh, it should. Yeah, I almost forgot that, that uh, Flashback Friday is starting now on Red Eyes HD uh, live channel. I don't know what their topic today is, but I believe it's uh, about the coronavirus. But uh, okay, so it was uh, fun. Remember to follow us on uh, D Live, or you can also watch this show on vk.com and uh, Periscope. And, uh, all the links are below in the description box. And you can also subscribe on DLive. It's about two uh, two bucks per month currently because of the coronavirus. 
Yeah, they have a sale going on here on D-Live, so you can get the subscriptions a bit, e- a bit cheaper these days. But it's only for a limited time, so uh, I recommend that you act fast if you are going to buy lemons or subscriptions. Yeah, and I'll uh, end this stream with a uh, Japanese song that was uh, that I I found out about this song from uh, Mike Enoch's uh, Twitter. And uh, well, I will not show the video, but only the audio track will be available. And uh, but. Yeah, and on uh, Tuesday, uh, we uh, will be here with Edward Dutton, who will be talking about his uh, book, uh, The Silent Rape Crisis, uh, How Finns Were Groomed to Love Their Abusers. So it's about the grooming uh, gang crisis in Finland, which is sort of similar to the Rotherham situation, but uh, I not um, it didn't happen for such a long time. It, it's more of a recent uh, phenomenon. Uh, but uh, that's something we'll be, we'll be talk about, uh, talking about next Tuesday at the same time with Edward Dutton. And on next Friday, we will have Francis Roger Devlin uh, to talk about civilizing uh, women. So how do we get uh, Western women to become socialized enough so that you can uh, be safe to let them out there in the public without them causing too much damage? <laughs> no e-girls and uh, so on. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Every Tuesday and Friday on uh, at uh, three Eastern and uh, ten Finnish time, nine Central European time, and uh, other <laughs> other time zones. But mm. yeah, I'll, uh, see you next Tuesday. Just the sun is on the beach. Right? Yeah, it's so